Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. To find studies of other books of the Bible from our archive, you can search our sermon library at thevillagechapel.com resources. These studies, we pray, will help you to think biblically in all categories of life so that we all might be formed more into the likeness of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Jim. Along with millions of other pilgrim Christians who have traveled to the Holy Land, I have walked through the Garden of Gethsemane on six different occasions. And each and every time, I have felt a spiritual weightiness in that place because of what happened there. We're going to read about that today in Mark chapter 14. There's no doubt about whether it's the same Garden of Gethsemane. It's at the base of the Mount of Olives. Uh, there are still there today some rather old, gnarly olive trees that have been carbon dated and found to have been around for well over a thousand years. And perhaps at their roots uh, might be the roots of plants that stood during the time of Jesus. Uh, the name of the Garden Gethsemane uh, means olive press in Aramaic. This would be would have been the language of Jesus in the day. How fitting that the, the pressing, uh, the crushing agony the Holy Son of God experienced would happen in that place on that night that he was betrayed and arrested under false charges. Um, what do you think made that night so difficult for Jesus? Well, let's read from Mark 14. I'm going to read verses 32 to 52 today and uh, see what we can learn, not only about the Lord Jesus, but about uh, his disposition of heart toward God, his disposition of heart toward us as well. Remember, uh, we've just come out of the Lord's Supper, uh, the establishment of the Lord's Supper in the upper room there with the uh, disciples and Jesus uh, the last Passover, the first Lord's Supper. They've sung a hymn and they've headed out from the uh, fr- from the old city. They've gone down into the Kidron Valley. Now they're coming up the Mount of Olives. And at the bottom of the Mount of Olives there, at the base of the Mount of Olives, as you start your ascent, is the Garden of Gethsemane. They came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. It's not something you read very often about Jesus. Um, This really um, starts to complete, doesn't it, the uh, uh, humanity of Christ. We start to see that not only was he the Son of God, uh, not only was, was he able to do things that were rather fantastic, supernatural. Not only did he have insights that went, you know, uh, way beyond what the average uh, person could know, but as well, he's struggling with being distressed and troubled. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of savior I want. That's the kind of king I want to bow before, one that actually knows what it means to be distressed and troubled. He said to them then, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. He went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, 
the hour might pass him by. And by saying the hour, what Mark is saying here and what the other gospels record as well is that is that Jesus is praying that if there's another way, uh, as he prays to the, the Father, if there's another way, let's do it that way. But if there isn't, let your will be done, of course. And that's recorded here as well, verse uh, uh, 36. And he was saying, Abba, Father, and Abba is such a, a beautiful term. Uh, it's an intimate term, not the kind of term that um, first century Jews would have been used to when addressing God, Almighty God, the Creator God, the law-giving God, uh, to call him Abba, uh, as Jesus taught his disciples to do. He's now doing that too, and they uh, have a record, or we have a record here of this prayer. He was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And I just want you to know, um, it's never wrong to pray alongside of Jesus that exact same thing. Express your honesty, express all that you're feeling, express all of what you're thinking to the Lord, and then place your full confidence in God and in his knowing what is perfect, what's the right thing, what would accomplish his plans and purposes. So Jesus comes back to where Peter, James, and John are and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying those same words. So he's gone back to pray before the Father again and to pray those same words. Marcus uh, makes it very clear that Jesus continues to express that same thing. Um, here's, here's what I want, but not my will, but yours be done. If it's possible, but not my will, but yours be done. Subservient to the Father, um, submitting everything to the Father, here to accomplish the mission and purposes uh, designed by the Father. And again, he went away and prayed those same words, all right? Uh, verse 40. And again, he came and found them sleeping. Oh, my goodness. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Now, I don't know if you've ever fallen asleep when you were praying. Um, I'm, I, I have. I'm going to be honest. Uh, but I'm kind of used to people falling asleep. I'm a preacher, so it happens every now and then on Sunday. It's particularly humorous when somebody snorts themselves awake uh, sitting in church, and they just nod off and and all you know catch themselves and come. But this happens sometimes, and this is happening to these guys even here in their Savior, in their Lord, in their Master's uh, hour of agony. They can't even stay awake for a little bit. And he came a third time, and um, uh, they 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 didn't know what to answer him. Are you still sleeping and resting? Jesus says. It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. This is all in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, olive press. Pressing in, crushing the soul, the heart, 
of Jesus in so many ways. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, as I say, having, having been there, it's not that big of a place. Um, but at, let's say he was 20 feet away, 20, maybe he was 10 yards away, still could have been within the Garden of Gethsemane. Was it the physical anguish that he knew he was about to face uh, in the coming hours that, and, and that he had predicted, by the way, to his disciples on three different occasions, uh, Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10. Was it that that was causing him so much anguish, the idea that he would be mocked, that he would be scourged with a, uh, a cat, of, you know, <clears throat> the cat of nine tails, the, the whip with the little pieces of rock and glass in it, uh, that he would be slapped, that he would be spat upon, that he would be uh, nailed to a cross hands and feet, uh, that he would have his side run through with a spear. Was it all of that physical pain um, that, you know, that he was thinking about as he was there and as he was praying to the Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass, not my will, but thine be done. Was that what caused his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane? Or as some other Bible scholars have suggested, was it the thought of taking upon himself all the sins ever committed by every greedy, lust-filled, angry, rebellious, belligerent, self-centered, self-deifying um, sinner, uh, gotta have it their way, sinner. Um, you know, like me, like you. Um, was it the thought that he would be taking, he, the Holy Son of God, would be taking all of our sin upon himself uh, that his pure heart, his pure mind, his pure soul smothered in all of that unholiness and then suffocating to death on this Roman cross in the most heinous act of injustice the world has ever uh, known. The only truly righteous person dying for all of the unrighteous sinners who ever existed Perhaps that was the greater cause of the agony of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane that night. I, I don't know. The commentator, Bible commentator Donald English in the Bible Speaks Today series, uh, his commentary on Mark said this, This brief insight into the intimate prayer life of Jesus shines a light not only on the cost of our redemption, but also on the nature of Jesus as God and man. The two are seen as one in this crucial moment for the redemption that will be offered to all. I, I think he's I think he's right on there. Uh, um, the humanity and the divinity of Jesus on full display here in the Garden of Gethsemane at this critical moment of anguish and agony for Jesus. Note what happens though. I want to finish on through reading um, down to verse 52 here. Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs and who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, all of the, this, this as we've referred to it, this unholy, self-righteous, religious leadership of the day that have set themselves uh, against Jesus. This, as I say, unholy alliance, okay? Um, now, he who was betraying him, that is Judas, had given them a signal saying, whoever I kiss, he's the one, seize him. 
and lead him away under guard. After coming, Judas immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. Mm. I just can't even imagine what that had to feel like on both sides of that. Um, mm. And they laid their hands on him and they seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Um, I think it's John 18, that account, John's gospel, uh, chapter 18, that account. John names the man, um, the, the servant of, the, of, of one of the high priests. His name was Malchus. But John, John also uh, names the one who drew the sword. And it seems like John and Peter, you know, kind of have a little thing going on because uh, John names him as, as Peter. And uh, he sort of outs Peter as the one who was, you know, uh, very impulsive, impetuous, whatever you want to call it. And just swings with this, this sort of knife sword like thing. And, and why he cut off his ear is yet a mystery. I uh, hope someday we'll figure it out. Was he a really horrible swordsman? And, and, or did the other guy dodge real quick and like, a, you know, had sort of ninjas like speed or something? I don't know. But Peter cuts his ear off. And then Luke, the good doctor, his account of this tells us, which is mind-blowing, says that Jesus uh, said, hold on, and just reached down, picked up the ear, put it back on the side of the head of the man and healed him. Wow. Now, that's the kind of savior I want. That's the kind of king I can bow before. Um, Even though Malchus is among those who have come to arrest Jesus, who would take him away and mock him and spit on him and, and, and scourge him with the whips and put him on a cross, he still is expressing grace and love and kindness to Malchus. Um, that's just mind-blowing to think about. Well, let me finish reading this. Jesus said to them, "'Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me "'as you would against a robber?' And that's exactly, they're going to accuse him of insurrection, political insurrection. They're going to try to accuse him of, you know, any number of uh, false charges. And, uh, and, it, and it's because that's the only thing the Jews can do. They don't have the power of capital punishment. So they need to get the Romans to see Jesus as a threat to the peace and a threat uh, to the stabilized sort of, uh, you know, state of the nation, if you will. They don't want another uprising, you know. Uh, Jesus goes on, uh, have you come out against me as you would against a robber? He goes on and says, every day I was with you in the temple teaching and you didn't seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And what Jesus is basically saying is everything that's going on here is actually uh, in line with what was predicted. All the way, we, you can talk about Isaiah and the suffering servant of Isaiah and that this is indeed a part of that fulfillment. Um, And what Jesus is basically saying is um, he's laying down his life. They're not just taking him. They're They're not getting one over on him. They're not winning something. He's actually there to lay his life down. And he's the one that determined the timing on everything. He's the one that turned toward Jerusalem. Uh, the time had come, the hour had come, the day and the hour had come, and he's there to lay down his life. They all left him and they fled, it says right here in a very sad statement in verse 50 of Mark chapter 14. They all left him, meaning the disciples, 
and they fled. They scattered like whipped puppies, scolded, uh, afraid, confused. And they just fled for their lives. A young man was following him. Mark is very careful to say, but he doesn't give us his name. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked off into the night. And I'm going to stop uh, reading the text here. Tradition has it that that young man was indeed John Mark himself. Um, is that possible? Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Could have could have been any young man that was following Jesus. Could have been the disciple John as well. Um, so we're not really sure. But that kind of live body detail reminds us we're not just talking about a you know another myth, another legend that gives you just really broad strokes of a of a storyline. No, there's there's really live body detail here for us, and I think it's important for us to know that. Um, Alistair McGrath is one of my favorite uh, living theologians. And he has a book called Justification by Faith. And in it, he says, well, the biblical concept of sin has many aspects that would rightly, that could rightly be described as forensic or legal, such as the ideas of missing the mark or uh, falling short of what is required. The idea of the betrayal of a personal relationship is fundamental to a biblical understanding of sin. Sin is about failing to trust God, challenging his authority, or failing to take his promises seriously. And this is what happens to us in our fear, when our fears take over, uh, when our ambitions take over as well. But anxiety, ambitions, well, either way, uh, as we've said so many times, uh, inspired by some comments Tim Keller once made, it's it's, it's my ambitions, uh, and I'm, when I'm starting to fret over those, uh, it's my ambition that is thinking, oh, God's not going to get this right, so I better help him out. It's my anxieties that make me angry, and I think God got it wrong. And uh, both, the, the, you know, the solution to both of those, prayer. This kind of intimate prayer that we see even in Jesus. So after spending all of that time with the uh, 12 original disciples, after being sent out on mission by Jesus, how is it possible for Judas mm, to betray Jesus like this? What was the eternal fate of Judas? How does what Judas did compare and contrast with what Peter is about to do um, as he denies Christ three times, as Jesus had predicted he would. Well, you'll have to tune into the coming episodes. We'll get to that uh, in the next couple of episodes. But uh, know this, while you are still breathing and considering the claims of Jesus and the promises of God available to you through faith in Christ, if you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you to either trust in Jesus for the first time or to trust further in Jesus for something that you're going through or about to have to face or whatever, um, I want you to know the heart of Jesus. And I think that's what we see here in this passage. 
And as Keller says, God relentlessly offers his grace to people who do not deserve it, nor seek it, nor even appreciate it after they have been saved by it. That pretty much includes me. And I'm going to bet it pretty much includes you. There are a lot of folks that we may know that aren't even believers. They don't even know they deserve it. And yet God is offering, relentlessly offering his grace to people who don't deserve it, don't seek it, or even appreciate it after they've been saved by it. I'm grateful for that kind of a savior, for that kind of a king is so easy to bow before. So easy to repent before, to come to him and to say, I'm sorry, I, 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 I know I turned my back on you. I know I went, oh, I blew it. I, there's so many times. And when we think about the kindness of Jesus in the middle of those times when we've sinned, fall into some temptation, and then turn to him, his kindness is, is so amazing. His grace is so amazing, isn't it? Mm. I pray that you and I will know that grace, that we'll rest in that grace and walk in that grace throughout the rest of this day. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you uh, again that you came. You didn't have to. You didn't owe it to us. And even as we read this passage about your prayer time, that intimate time between you and and the Father there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm. Uh, Lord, so much insight into who you are and what kind of heart you have for sinners like me, sinners like us, sinners like Peter, who cut the ear off, sinners like Malchus, whose ear was cut off, sinners even like Judas, to whom you were so kind, so patient, um, for those three years that he walked with you, that he spent time with you, that he heard you preach, that he saw miracles, and 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 God, um, we're we're overwhelmed. Even though some of us will try to sort out and figure out what happened to, to Judas ultimately and eternally, here's what we know: you are a gracious God, and so we need you. Uh, we need you, Lord, to forgive us. We need you to save us and redeem us, to rescue us and restore us. And like Peter, to recommission us over and over again, as you do. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but oh Lord, how wonderful to have your uh, word that we can read and study and be filled with the hope of the promises that we find in the gospel. It is truly good news. Um, thank you for this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.